0: Welcome everybody to the Oklahoma drill podcast and we got a little bit different of a show for you this week. I'm your host, Andrew. I only got my co-host Matt here with me. Vitor is off competing for his semi-pro championship at quarterback in Brazil. We are all wishing him the best. Hope he comes home with a ring. Good luck Vitor. Yes. Good luck Vitor. With that said, We are here. The two of us are here. We're going to do things a little bit different. Vitor is usually the voice of reason on this show. So, without him here, I think we have some license to get a little crazy, do something a little outside the box. So, instead of doing our classic review and look ahead to the next game, we're going to do that a little bit, but mainly with the Jets now eliminated from the playoffs for the 11th consecutive season, we are going to do an early look ahead to the offseason, have some debates, have some discussions, early things that we've seen, uh, areas to target, how the team should go about their offseason. I think this is a perfect timing as well. The Jets X Factor offseason simulator just dropped today. So make sure you guys go on board, get all your offseason simulations done. We're going to be doing a little discussion here. Let's get right into it. Quick review of the last game against the New Orleans Saints. The Jets obviously did not come away with the win. Zach Wilson followed up what was a very promising game against um, uh, the Eagles with a very, very tough game against the Saints. And it's kind of mind-blowing. To see that he could go from what I thought was his best game of the season to a really, really ugly performance where his accuracy was just all over the place. I really don't have an explanation for it.
1: Well, I mean, there's a pretty good explanation for it. He didn't really have much around it, right? This is true. He had had Mims, who's too busy getting penalties. He's got Berrios, who's, you know, he's serviceable. Uh, Crowder, also serviceable. And Cole, who I feel like feeds He's at his best when he has other people around him to sort of take the focus off of him. Uh, So really, he didn't have much, and especially with the running backs. He had Perrine and and Ty Johnson, and it's just a whole lot of drop passes and nothing there. So what did he really have to work with? And I feel like we've said this before. He's a true rhythm quarterback right now. He needs to get in that rhythm, or else he's going to falter a little bit. And he had yeah. nobody there to help him get in that rhythm.
0: No, he didn't. And I think, I think you're, you're right on board with that. Uh, and obviously if Vitor was here. He would be the quarterback coming in to give us his thoughts, but, but I think you're dead on. I, I, he was unable to get into a rhythm early. Cause he had some passes dropped. Jets were able to add three, three and outs. I think to start their first three drives, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a, a consistent performance to start. And we saw the week before where they get an opening kickoff return to get them down to the 25 yard line, I believe, or the 21 yard line, uh, set them up in great field position. And that kind of took the the burden off everybody. And now they can get into their rhythm. He throws a touchdown to Elijah Moore on the first drive. I think he came out and hit like 11 of his first 14 passes. Uh, And it was, it, it was a great day because he was able to get into that rhythm and get that confidence. And I, the unfortunate concerning thing is that if he gets that confidence broken early, it seems like it's hard for him to rebound and get it back.
1: It really is. I mean, he's been notorious for not starting hot at all. So the fact that he was able to do that against the Eagles, I think really helped him. Uh, but against the Saints, nothing. He got no help. It was Ty Johnson had three drop passes to and like three drives in a row, I believe. So it, it's just a disaster after disaster. And predictable results.
0: Yeah, Uh, I want to I want to throw something at you that I don't know if I've heard anybody talk about. And I'm not saying that this could be the end all explanation and that there isn't still blame to be on Zach Wilson, because there are a lot of other things with his mechanics that I think have caused his inaccuracy more so Mm -hmm. than just his footwork. But isn't he wearing a brace still? Is he? I haven't looked at his leg in a while. Uh, As far as I remember, I remember seeing a reporter hearing um, when he had first come back, because I know he had one on against Houston. And I think I remember hearing that he was planning to wear it for the rest of the season. So my thought would be maybe his knee isn't quite exactly to the perfect point of where he wants it to be. And that's why he's not planning and driving on his front foot or leading with his front foot, right? He's stepping in the bucket a lot. That's what I've seen is that he's not getting his back leg around And he's stepping in the bucket, which for those who don't know what that means, that's when you're a quarterback and you're right-handed and you lead with your left foot forward, you want to point it at the target and kind of pivot like a pitcher would and follow through with your back leg. Zach Wilson isn't pointing his front leg forward. He's having it fall to the left and kind of fall behind him. And that's called stepping in the bucket. And what that does is it tightens your hips. It doesn't allow for rotation. Your back leg gets caught. You can't get your back hip around. Ball doesn't go where it's supposed to because your mechanics get thrown off from the ground up. Maybe that uh, that brace that he is still wearing, maybe that brace is making his mechanics a little more unnatural and maybe it's causing him some discomfort when he's planting. Maybe that's caused him to get into some bad habits because he's not used to playing and throwing with a brace on his knee. I mean, it's definitely possible
1: that even the littlest thing can throw somebody's mechanics off like that, right? right. Uh, just a little brace, maybe just a little pain causes you to favor something a little bit more, and then that stresses something out even more. It's a domino effect. But one thing I have noticed with Zach is that he's become a much more decisive runner, I think, yeah. since he's come back from his injury. So whether he that, that uh, brace is throwing him off mechanic-wise uh, throwing, uh, I feel like he's become a much better runner, and and it's, it's shown over the last few weeks, I've seen him just make that decision. I'm going to run the ball and a lot quicker. He's no longer just, you know, pussyfooting around back there and running out of bounds and taking a sack or, or he's, he's making that decision. I'm going to run the ball and he's been doing pretty well.
0: Yeah, yeah, he really has. Uh, Especially he had his longest career run, I think it was, um, against the Saints was 18 yards right up the middle of the pocket, where Saints are in man coverage and Jets are calling a deep shot and everybody retreats back. No one's open, but there's no one in the middle of the field at all. And he just sees green grass and says, okay, I'll just take what's there. I am really encouraged to see that. And maybe his knee is better than I might think it is, but maybe he developed some bad habits while he was rehabbing when it wasn't. And maybe that's what he's kind of to come out of is when he was trying to throw and get back on the field and he wasn't doing really much running or anything else. I'm sure he was still trying to throw to keep his arm loose. And, you know, maybe that's what happened. I'm I'm not sure. All I know is that his mechanics are the problem right now. I think his processing speed definitely needs to be improved. And I do think that will come with time. uh, Hopefully if everything can get right with his mechanics, but that's the issue. And I think if he can get his mechanics sound, we've seen what he can do. Granted, he needs to have the offensive talent with him and around him to, to execute when he does do it. Right. But I'm, I'm hopeful that this is going to be an up and down end of the season. We see some more improvement And he gets all healthy and everything goes into 2022 and he makes that second year leap. I think that's what we're all looking forward to right now.
1: That's what we're all hoping for. And I don't think it's anything black and white, like, oh, it's just his mechanics. He had bad habits. I think it's a whole plethora of things. Like you said, it's weaponry around him. Maybe it's the bad habits. he might've picked up while rehabbing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe it could be any number of things. Uh but yeah, like 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 you said, it's gonna be a roller coaster the rest of the way. Uh I'm not expecting it to be anything other than that. If he all of a sudden shows up and puts out a, a great last five weeks, then great. Okay, that's awesome. Is it five weeks or four weeks? I forgot where we are.
0: I think there's four now.
1: Four weeks. So if he shows up the last four weeks and plays great, then awesome. I'm not expecting that at all. I expect him to have a decent game against Miami with uh Carter coming back, I expect them to have a better Jaguar game. And then I think he's going to close out the year with two horrible goose eggs. So uh, it's going to be a wild ride.
0: Yeah. And quite honestly, no one should be surprised if he closes out the year with two goose eggs against the defending Super Bowl champions and the defending AFC East champion. No, not at all. All right, let's get into uh, our offseason review here. I think that's enough talk about Zach Wilson and the Saints. Talked a lot about Zach Wilson, obviously, the last few weeks and for good reason. But let's do something a little bit different. We need to talk about this coming offseason because this is going to be, at least to me, Matt, and I'll be interested to hear how you feel about this. This is the year the Jets have been building towards since they hired Joe Douglas. This is the this is the offseason that you traded Jamal Adams for. This is the reason you got rid of Sam Darnold when you did. This is the year that I think we're going to see Joe Douglas specifically be more aggressive and try and add pieces to this team to be impact players, to try and improve the quality of the roster, build things up, make a playoff push. You don't got to be perfect. There's a lot of holes on this team. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed. But I think they're going to be more aggressive than we've seen in years past because I think this is the time frame. Zach Wilson will be going into the second year. You're hoping he makes a second year leap. He's still got three plus years before you got to worry about paying him and you have time to bring in some talented players through free agency in the draft or be aggressive and potentially trade draft picks for veterans and get away with it because the only guys that you really have to worry about extending soon is quinnon other other than quinnon there really isn't anybody right now that we're freaking out, worrying about shaking loose. There's still time that has to be seen. Obviously we would hope that McKay can come back healthy uh, next year. I don't really want him to come back this year and risk anything, but hope that he can come back healthy and play his way into a top deal. But right now you're not looking at any future contracts and you have a rookie quarterback that's going to keep you on a cheap rookie contract you got money to play with as well as the draft pick ammo that you have i think this is going to be a really aggressive offseason
1: uh yeah i completely agree and the best way to help zach have that that second year uh, leap in production is to put a better team around him uh i think uh jd's done an admiral job getting uh uh enough offensive weapons uh between Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, uh Carter, uh, that he's got a nice base there. Now he just needs to build on that. Uh and that will definitely help Zelk- Zach out. Uh but everybody's thinking defense though, right? This is one of the worst defenses in the league, if not the worst. So everybody's thinking, how can we figure out this defense? Right? Uh the offense looks okay. But I really want to caution people that we cannot forget about the offense. This is still an offensive league. We need to have that offense buzzing if we really want to have long-term success. Because you know what? The defense is always going to get banged up, and defense is always going to get uh, get calls against them because that's what the league is. It's just going to be flags against the defense uh, because they want offenses to be high-scoring. So, we need to join that club and be a high scoring offense. Uh, so, yes, bring in players to help our defense, but also reamp that offense to keep it strong for more than just a year.
0: Yeah, yeah, I completely and totally agree with you. Uh, I just had a piece come out on jet sex Factor uh, yesterday, actually, where it was talking about the history of the Pete Carroll defense and all the teams that have played it, and what Robert Sala is trying to replicate. And going through the numbers, you know, even it, it surprised me. Even I, I really wasn't expecting to see what I found, but. The few constants that I saw between the few teams that were able to reach the top of the league, crack a top five defense playing this scheme since 2013, when it really exploded, you have the Seahawks and the Legion of Boom who did it for four straight years, and no one else did it more than two. And the you look at those teams, the two teams that did it were outside of the Seahawks were the Jags and the 49ers, and they did it for two straight years back to back. And then they really started to fall off. It's a little early to see what's going to happen in the 49ers, but the Jags defense took a nosedive. They went from fifth to 24th in one year, and they were 31st the year after that. The Seahawks went from four straight years in the top five and two straight at number one, and then one year at number two to 11th, 16th, and 26th. Uh, this scheme, it, it needs that elite talent to play off, and which is what we're saying. This team needs more talent but I'm going to tell you what, Matt, I completely and totally agree with you that you can't forget about the offense because the other constant amongst those defenses was a good offense. This scheme is built to play with a lead. This scheme is built to play against teams that want to throw the ball and need to play catch up. It's not built to stop teams that can ground and pound and run the clock out as the Jets have seen this year. So if they don't have the offense that can get out to a lead and generate points and put the defense in position to where the game is in their hands more to start with, it could get really ugly. If you look at the 2014 Seahawks, the 2017 Jacksonville Jaguars, and the 2019 San Francisco 49ers, those are the three best years of each of those defenses, and you look at where their offense was ranked in those same years and average them all together, the average offensive ranking was sixth in the NFL. Sixth. Sixth in the NFL. So was it these defenses playing that great or was it the offense is giving the defenses chances to play that great? There's a direct correlation with defenses falling in this scheme and offenses getting worse. The 49ers and Jaguars, in the year they were great, the Jaguars' offense was ranked sixth. The 49ers' offense was ranked fourth. The next year, the Jaguars' de- defense was ranked fifth. Their offense was ranked like 21st. The 49ers' offense went from fir- fourth to 15th. Their defense took a hit as well. This is what we've seen. The Seahawks offense, same thing. Their offense went from being top five with Russell Wilson to hovering around 11 or 12. But quite honestly, I think the only reason the Seahawks were able to stay good for that long was because Russell Wilson was that consistently good. They didn't didn't have to worry about teams getting up on them because they knew they had Russell Wilson to keep them in the game. So I'm looking at it from this angle. You got to attack both sides of the ball. You got to attack offense and defense. And I think the way you do that is you pick one side and that's the side you spend on in free agency and you pick the other side and that's the side you focus on in the draft. And that's what we're going to talk about right now, Matt. I want to know where you would focus your money in free agency and where you would focus your draft picks.
1: Hmm. See, I, I would do the, well, not the exact opposite. I would make it even across the board, offense, defense, and free agency, offense, defense in the draft, because you have to look at what the strengths are of the draft uh, right now. I see that as safety. I see that as tight end. I see uh, a strong edge group, although it is a little top heavy, uh, a strong uh, level uh, cornerback group, although also top heavy yep. um, and then inside uh, offensive linemen. So these are all positions that we need and, yes, they are. and they're all strengths of the draft. So I would, like to focus on those in the draft for sure therefore i wouldn't want to put all my eggs in free agency on those positions so i would look at what are the weaknesses i would say wide receivers very top heavy uh there's probably some gems throughout the draft but uh for the most part the guys that you really want are top on, at the top of the draft and if we really do need another wide receiver but at the same time wide receiver in free agency is a little expensive So that's probably not where JD wants to spend money, especially after spending on Corey Davis. So that might lead us to maybe go wide receiver early in the draft because guess what? That's where the talent is for wide receiver. And at the same time, we won't have to really spend that much. Uh, And therefore, we can push some of the strengths to later in the draft, like safety or uh, interior offensive line uh we also have two first round picks so we can maybe play around a little bit i wanna definitely improve our uh interior offensive line whether it's right guard or center or doing both at the same time which uh, uh you know my favorite guy for our first pick is probably lindenbaum and yeah i, I, I there's 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 lots of arguments to go around uh about w- whether we should take a center in the top 10 or not Um, and I think a lot of the arguments are around, well, no center has been taken in the top 10 before. And that is true. No center has been taken that high. And I'd like to say, well, if we did take Lindenbaum in the top 10 and he ends up playing like Mangold or Mawai, would anybody care that we took him in the top 10? I don't think anyone would care. And if you look at our playoff teams going back to 1990s, late 90s, we always had an elite center on our offensive line. They're the anchor of our offensive line. And maybe even more important now because they're calling the protections. It's not Zach. And maybe you know, I I didn't really look that much uh,
0: when when Flacco was in there. Was was, uh, McGovern still calling protections? Um, from what I could see on a down to down basis, he was, but Flacco was a lot more in control of the offense and alerted and killed a lot more plays than Zach does that as I think. And I think that's just veteran experience. That's, okay. that's Flacco sense. being able to sit there and, and read a play and have a feeling for, for a defense more so than Zach. What is his rookie season? But I didn't see the protection calls outright change. Because I, I, quite honestly, Flacco was getting the ball out really quick too. So there really wasn't much of an opportunity for the rush to get there anyway. Of course. And, and at the same time, Connor McGovern
1: has done a pretty good job. He's made a great leap from last year to this year. Uh, uh, pro football focus definitely has a, a very good grade on him this year. But there are a lot of things that sort of get missed. Uh, a lot of context that's not brought up which are those protections. Uh, there's been a lot of free rushers this year. And a lot of that goes to McGovern's uh, protection calls and his ability to communicate with the guys around him. And he has definitely faltered in this area and it, and it's shown throughout the year and maybe he's led to Zach, maybe developing some of these bad habits. Now, is he serviceable? Yeah. Could he be a decent center for us yeah I think so I think he'll only improve on in these communication uh, areas as he uh, gets more familiar with the guys around him. so yes we can stick with Connor McGovern and maybe we do but I want JD to be very decisive here if he thinks McGovern is the future he needs to secure McGovern for the future extend him maybe three or four years. Maybe even more, because if you're going to do a half measure and just keep him around and let his contract uh, expire, then I don't think it's worth, you know, using him as an excuse not to draft the future. And I don't think there's any better future than Lindenbaum. He's the perfect fit for our offense. He's got the perfect balance of strength and athletic ability. Uh, he, he would be perfect for a wide zone offense, uh, and he's got the nastiness and and the strength to really be a bully next to guys like Avt and Becton and Fan. Uh, so he's got everything that you would want to be our anchor for the next ten plus years, and I would have no problem taking him in the top ten because if he pans out the way that I, we think they all pan out, then nobody will care about that.
0: Yeah, you know. I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and uh, you know we've had a lot of discussions off air about this. Where you are uh, the biggest Tyler Lindenbaum bomb fan I know, and, and for good reason. Not to not to think that I don't agree with anything that you're saying. He is a fantastically, fantastically talented player. He would be a perfect fit in this scheme. It's very similar to like what we talked about with ABT last year. Where for months leading up to the draft, we were sitting there saying this is the guy he fits the offense, he fits the need, he, you know, he's perfect to grow with the scheme. He's the ideal prototype on top of being ready now. You know, that was that was what we said about him for so long, why we were so adamant that they had to do whatever they could to get him if they were gonna add to this offensive line. Thank God Joe Douglas traded up for him, but you know, I, it's kind of the same argument. You know, was the AVT trade up worth it? Well, if AVT turns into a Pro Bowl guard where it looks like he's well on his way to becoming, then is anyone going to care? You know, same kind of thing with Lindenbaum. You know, if you take him that highly and he turns into Nick Mangold, like you said, and he's a stalwart on the offensive line for the next decade, if not longer, then who's going to care what pick overall he was taking? The Jets have had higher draft picks bust than that. And and it's not, you know, if we want to talk about, oh, you're wasting a pick, would you would you rather waste a pick on a guy you're not sure about or waste a pick on a guy you know, at the very least is going to be above average? You know, it's it's a it's an interesting argument. And I'm going to be honest and think that you've kind of changed my mind a little bit because Mm -hmm. I'm looking at this class and I'm looking for what I would want to do. And I agree that you can't completely sell out to one side or the other in the draft or free agency. But I think that the two main areas that you improve your team are the headlines of free agency and the first round of the draft. And so if I'm thinking at it from that angle, I want to spend big on defense and I want to draft offense. So if I'm spending big on defense, the guy I'm going after is Jesse Bates, uh the Cincinnati Bengals free safety because this team needs that rangy ball hawk for when they play cover one and when they play cover three. And we've seen Ashton Davis have a handful of times where he's the deep safety and it's cover one and he gets caught looking at the wrong crosser helping in the wrong area or takes a bad angle to the ball. You know, it's been rough. And I was a big Ashton Davis fan coming out of the draft. I thought he had a lot of potential and a lot of speed. And and if he could put those instincts together with, with consistency, he would be really good, but he just hasn't been able to do it. So I'm throwing whatever money Jesse Bates wants at Jesse Bates and hoping that he comes and solidifies the free safety position. If Jesse Bates is not an option or if the alternative happens, I think you got to go corner. And so I'm looking at JC Jackson in new England. If for some reason he shakes free and hits the open market, which I don't think is going to happen. I think the Patriots will franchise him at more than likely, but assuming he doesn't whatever he wants. Because not only then are you getting a ball hawk corner who can help create turnovers that you know can play on the outside, you're also taking him away from a division rival. So it's two for one, in my opinion, when you do that. Those would be my top two targets defensively. Offensively, Mm. now looking at the draft. I wouldn't be opposed to Lyndon Baum early. Because I think that you can potentially get two for one with him and move McGovern to right guard. And if you can do that, you can upgrade two spots at once. And you also have the future of Lindenbaum being able to grow with Zach, hopefully throughout the years. And I am a big believer in relationships, not only between quarterback and receiver, but between quarterback and center. So like you said, JD has to, to make his move, either extend McGovern. I completely agree. Keep that continuity. Keep that continuity for Zach Wilson and trust that he can grow in this scheme and be the guy and let him improve or improve, take a guy like Lindenbaum that you know is going to be able to build on and going to be here for a while and let him grow with Zach Wilson. So I'm not opposed to doing that, but if I'm looking at it from the angle of where the jets have their picks now, uh, let me see exactly where they are. I believe it is four and seven, four and seven. Yep. Okay. So they're at four and seven. Uh, fourth overall is a tough spot because the only player that, uh, offensively at least, that I would want to take there would be Evan Neal, the tackle from Alabama. And my thought with that would be you take Evan Neal, fourth overall, and you trade George Fant. And whatever you get for George Fant is added onto the value of Evan Neal. So, to me, I Evan Neal in a second sounds pretty good to me at fourth overall, but if Evan Neal is not there, which I think there's a chance that he won't be, I think the Jags or Texans easily could either take him. You're kind of sitting there wondering, what do you do? Because I think it's possible the jets could take a defensive end highly. And if they do uh, put me down for George Karloftis, but I'm, a little concerned that they like JFM in that spot. They think Bryce Huff can can progress and that they might look elsewhere early, despite what we've seen. In Robert Sawa's history, maybe just because they have guys already. The 49ers defensive line really didn't have anybody before they added, you know, guys like Nick Bosa. They still had a clear need at defensive end. We have Carl Lawson coming back and hopefully Bryce Huff progressing. I don't see the same need at defensive end that the Niners had when they took Bosa. Anyway, hmm. I'm looking at this. You take Evan Neal four. And as much as I would consider winded bomb, I don't think you should take two offensive linemen in the first round back to back. So I'm looking at wide receiver and I'm looking at wide receiver because I agree the wide receivers in free agency are going to be expensive. And you did just spend on Corey Davis. You also want guys that can grow with Zach. You want guys that will be here and be cheap with him where you're looking at Elijah Moore. It's the same type of thing. You get to be on a rookie deal for a handful of years and you're going to be a star player for that amount of time. I'm looking for the same type of thing. And When it comes to Zach Wilson, I thought that he would be able to take advantage of players when they are covered and be able to throw them open, which is what he did really well at BYU, and that he would work well with guys like Denzel Mims and Corey Davis for that reason, because they can make contested catches and they're able to box out receivers, play on the outside hip, do things like that down the sideline. But what we've seen from Zach Wilson is that he's having a little trouble processing and that he needs guys to be open a little earlier than we would expect. So I think he would do better with guys that can separate. I think he would do better with guys with speed. And I think in general, you need explosive playmakers on offense that can make easy plays into touchdowns. So I'm looking at an Alabama pairing in the first round of Evan Neal and Jamison Williams. Oh,
1: I thought you
0: were going to say Garrett Wilson. (laughs) I like Garrett Wilson a lot, but speed kills. And the Jets says, Elijah Moore is very fast. Not to say that he isn't and that he can't be a downfield weapon or a guy that can take a slant for 60. As we've seen, why not have two, why not? Why not have another guy on the other side of the field? That's also going to dictate coverage and back off safeties. It's only going to help your run game too. Now you're having Michael Carter face lighter boxes because you have a strong arm quarterback and two receivers that can take your head off. I, I just, I think it's a great fit. This is for pick seven. Pick seven. Hey,
1: see, this reminds me of uh, the draft where rugs went before uh, everybody else that we, that people thought were, would be ahead where, yeah, they're like speed kills though. And uh, no surprise. Oakland took them. Uh, I, it's kind of a grab bag of, of wide receivers here. It just depends what you want. Do you want the speed in Jameson Williams or Garrett Wilson? Uh, do you want the hands of Dotson and Alave? Do you want the contested catch ability of Burks and London? Uh, it, it's what do you want, really? And you want the you want. It sounds like you want the guy that can get the
0: separation, right? I want speed. So, yeah, Wilson. I've Williams. I've What's completely changed now? my tune when it comes to wide receivers because there was a period of time when I leaned more towards the contested catch guys because I was figuring well they're always open. And it's good having a safety blanket that you can throw to a guy in a tough situation. And the one thing that I have now realized time and time again, as much as I don't want to admit it is that the reason those guys are contested catch artists is because they can't separate. And that's, that's that's Denzel Mims. (laughs) That's Denzel Mims right now. And, and so I'm, I'm adverse to those guys. You look at the best receivers in the NFL over the last handful of years, they're guys that separate. It's it's Stephon Diggs, it's DeAndre Hopkins, it's De, uh, Devontae Adams, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham. You know, like none of those guys are contested catch guys. None of those guys are are guys that that not that they can't make contested catches, but that's not their calling card. I mean, no. it, Chris Godwin, even uh, you know, there's another guy. The the contested catch guys that are the best receivers in the NFL, they're rare, and, and the ones that do it are, are fantastic, but they're rare. So I want. I want the guys that can separate on a down-to-down basis because you know what's better than making a a contested catch being wide open.
1: (laughs) That is true. But you know, as we've seen this year though, that even when our guys do get separation and get open, Zach has had a hard time, you know, making it easy for them. So maybe the guys that can come down with the tough catches that can make that have great body control and can make the, the acrobatic catches. Maybe those are the guys. Or maybe let's just, just go for the guy that could do both, right? And maybe that's Dotson, who's a lot yeah. like Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore was also a guy. He can get separated, for sure, with his route running and his speed. But he also was very good at coming down with contested catches. And that might be Dotson. Right? He's not going to be a big guy like Drake London or Garrett Wilson but or Burks, for that matter. But he's a guy that knows how to get open with his speed and his route running and he's got the best hands in the, in the class and people are like, Oh, well we need some diversity with our wide receivers. But at the same time, what Dotson and Moore do is very similar, but what they do is a lot. Right. So yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. To do many different things at the same time. Uh, And having that interchangeability is very valuable. And a defense just trying to take out more by himself is a hard enough task. Imagine having to take out both of these guys and then Davis on top of that. I think that's a trio that could do some damage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not opposed to it. Uh, it, I like Dotson a lot. I I really like this receiver group as a whole, uh, quite honestly, I think there's, there's some real talent here, but if I'm looking at it, who are the guys that I would take seventh overall? The only one is Jamison Williams, Garrett wow. Wilson. Maybe I could potentially see it, but I'm, I'm not quite as high on him as, as in general, just because I think he's a little bit, uh, he's one of those well-rounded guys. Again, he does a lot and that's great. And that's really, really well, but when it comes to the top 10, I want that elite calling card. That's why I kind of lean towards Jamison Williams with his speed. But after that guys that I would look to add, Maybe in a trade down scenario, which I think could be very, very likely for the Jets this year, especially considering you look at the top of the draft, you have the Lions who might take a quarterback early. Although I think it's more likely that they'll go to uh, Kavon Thibodeau. After that, you have Jacksonville and then you have Houston. Houston, again, maybe they take a quarterback, but they're starting Davis Mills the rest of the year you know, who knows what's going to happen in their situation. It's not a guarantee that they're going to go quarterback. Jacksonville is definitely not going to go quarterback. They just took Trevor Lawrence. So for teams that need a quarterback for teams that really, really want a quarterback, they're going to be calling teams like the jets and teams like the Jags to try and trade up. And they're going to try and get fourth overall. And we just saw what teams will be willing to give up to trade up, to get in for a top quarterback. And we just saw San Fran give up three first round picks to go from twelve to three. So I think there's a good chance that the Jets could end up trading out of four overall for a team that either falls in love with Matt Corral or you know any of the other guys that are going to be towards the top of the draft. It's going to happen every year. Teams fall in love with quarterbacks, and the quarterbacks always end up going high, even if it's higher than they should, because teams are worried about missing out on their guy. And if you're you find a guy that you like and that you're committed to, you're going to do what you can to get him. So if they trade down which I think is likely the two guys that I'm looking at are Traylon Burks and Chris Alave uh, Burks, because I think he is an offensive weapon. And I think that he is just height, weight, speed, probably the most impressive guy out of all of them in this class. Uh, if you factor in everything, Jameson Williams in a pure race is going to win everything, but the total package. I think Burks has that. He also can win the contested catches. And, and I like to see him as the, the dominant outside guy. I think he has the potential to grow into that, but Chris Olave, I fell in love with last year and that hasn't changed at all. I I mean, talk about a guy that can separate. You talk about a guy that can win deep. You talk about a guy that can make plays with the ball in his hands. Uh, You know, I, I think that he's kind of getting forgotten a little bit. And I think that he is just as good as dang near anybody else in this class, uh, in general, just at being that well-rounded guy that can do everything. I think he can make contested catches. We've seen him be really great in the red zone and on the sideline we've seen him be great over the middle. We've seen him win deep. You know, I'm, I've seen all I need to see out of Chris Olave. I saw it last year. You know, I just saw more of it this year. So I'm, those are my, my three favorite guys would be Jameson Williams, Chris Olave, and Trey Lonbergs but I'm would not be opposed to Jahan Dotson. I wouldn't be opposed to Garrett Wilson. I think I wouldn't be opposed to Drake London. He caught my eye really early last year. I remember sending you clips uh, in the middle in this off season when I was going through USC tape being like, who the heck is 15 on USC and no one can tackle him. You know, that's he's he's (laughs) another good guy too. There's, there's a lot of talent here.
1: It's, It's funny. Your three guys are the exact opposite of my top three guys. That's funny. I would go Wilson. London and then Dotson as my top three. Um, London uh, worries me a little bit just because of his style of play. Yeah, Uh, He's that that physical guy that's going to fight every inch for more yards. And I could see him going by way of Quincy, right? Uh, The guy that might be very good, uh, but he could get injured. So I worry a little bit about him. So really, for me, the only guy's... I would probably feel comfortable taking because we also need to remember that JD needs to hit on these picks. Yeah. These picks are very integral to his security going forward. So safety is, is best. So I would probably go either Wilson or Dotson Wilson. If it's an, if we have to take him earlier, uh, Dotson, if we uh, get, a, if we trade back into the later, uh, uh end of the round. Uh, but Jameson Williams, uh, I can probably convince, be convinced to to take because, yeah, you're right, speed kills. And if Zach does make that leap uh, and he doesn't need the guys to make contested catches every other throw, then, yeah, we're going to want the guy that can get clear separation uh, anytime he's on the field. And that would be Williams. Um, and uh, I, I always try to think... Uh, coming off of wide receiver a little bit who uh, going back and also thinking about safety picks who are the guys that are the safest picks the guys without the injury concerns the guys with the the fewest flaws who are these guys I would say Thibodeau yeah uh, then Lindenbaum then maybe Kyle William uh, Kyle Hamilton sorry
0: Hamilton yeah you can put him there
1: I'd put Evan Neal uh, in that group. See, the thing with Neal is that I, I hear he has some weight concerns that they're worried about, and maybe they get some flashbacks to Beckton that they don't like.
0: Because when you uh, guys
1: that yeah. big that, uh, that have weight issues, usually injuries follow. So I, I could see them sort of shying away from Neal a little bit for just that reason. Uh, and then Hutchinson, we we've talked about his ability to bend around the corner. So is he just this all-star college edge or does it, does it truly translate to the dominance at the next level? Uh, So there are some questions there with Hutch. So who, who else is there if Thibodeau, Neil and Hamilton are gone, or let's say Lindenbaum, Hamilton and Thibodeau are gone. Who would you go? Would you still go with Neil?
0: The first three picks of the draft being Lindenbaum, Thibodeau, Thibodeau and Kyle and, Hamilton. And Kyle Hamilton. Not uh, that this would ever happen, but yeah, no. Uh, in that scenario, yes, I take Evan Neal. Okay,
1: I, it's I, I, I. What what happens with Fan in this offseason, or even for the rest of the season, if Becton comes back, is going to be uh, at the top of my mind. I what what is going to happen there, because Fan has been great for us this year. Yeah, yeah, he really has. And I feel like before, you know, J.D. fell in love with Connor McGovern, he fell in love with Fant. And Fant has lived up to every expectation. So will they trade this guy after having all this faith in him to make this turnaround in his career and finally find success? I don't know, but maybe. Uh, Or maybe they move back to the right tackle. There's so many different things that could happen here. Uh, and I'm, I'm very curious what happens.
0: Um, Here's why I think that trading Fant is a possibility because Fant's agent is going to ask for a big raise and it's going to be deserved. That's true. They took it a is. prove, they took a swing prove it deal on Fant. He is not getting paid like a top tackle and he played like a top tackle this year is, is I believe he's one of three tackles to start more than 95% of their team snaps and only give up less, like one or fewer sacks. Like this is, he's been really good this year. And so I think he's going to be able to go back to the bargaining table and say, I want a raise, I want a new deal. I'm playing. I outplayed this prove it deal. I proved it. So yeah. if, so either keep either bring me back and, and, you know, keep me on a new level. And for all we know, Fant might not want to go to right tackle. He might sit there and say, I'm playing really great playing left tackle. I, I yeah. feel like I'm, I'm comfortable here. I don't know if I want to move. And maybe Beckton doesn't want to move either. Cause I don't think he would. So you're looking at this where, oh, it's just a move one to right tackle. I don't think it's that simple. And so I view it as you have an ascending left tackle that's rightfully going to ask for more money that you aren't going to want to shell out. So trade him while his stock is the highest. Get what you can for him because you can walk into his replacement in Evan Neal next year. so. The only worry about that is making sure that you secure Evan Neal and yeah. you're not a hundred percent sure of how that's going to go down. But if you know that you can get Evan Neal, if you can get your sources and know that the picks ahead of you are not going to be Evan Neal and he's going to be in your lap at fourth overall, if that's where you end up, then I think you, quite honestly, I think it's the smarter decision to, to trade fan because you're going to get him Like I said, while his value is the highest, you're going to have a team that is going to sit there and say, oh, well, he looked great, and we can trade a pick for him and not have to worry about missing out on the top tackles in the draft. We can send our second, or if we have a late first and we're not worried that a team is going to be able to, to, there's going to be any tackles left to get that high, because the tackle class is different from the interior offensive line class. After Evan Neal, the tackle class is not as talented. Well, there is one guy that has been named... Uh,
1: with the Jets a lot, which is uh, Ik- Ik- Ikwanu of uh, North Carolina State, who is a guy that is reminiscent of, of Beckton in that he's a bully. He's got yeah. the strength and movement skills. Uh, the problem there is that he's never played on the right side. So that's an issue. Um, and Neil hats And Neil has exactly. So a natural fit would be Neil uh Iguanu, we we need to wait and see how he does it at the combine in his pro days, uh, to see if he can play on the right side at all. Uh but either of these two guys, I think uh would be nice fits for this team.
0: Yeah. I want to throw two more names at the uh safest picks uh list that we were creating. And no I think this will be a good, a good way to end. We'll transition to some score predictions, call it a day. But the two guys that we talked about, we'll go through the list earlier. We said Thibodeau, Lindenbaum, Kyle, Hammons, Kyle Hamilton, Evan Neal might be debatable. I think you can put Chris Alave on that list. And he's a, actually one I'm going to add in real quick. It's not even the two I was going to say. But I think just if we're talking about safe guys that we know are going to be good, I, I don't have any questions about Alave. So I'm going to put him there. Two other guys that I have, they're on defense. George Karloftis and Sauce Gardner. I'm sold on Carl and And I know you do, Uh, but I am, I am so sold on Carl Loftus, and I'm, I was worried about it before. I keep trying to go back and see what I was missing with Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson's a first round edge rusher, not trying to say he's not without a doubt. A quality player deserves to be a top 15 pick. He doesn't deserve to be the first pick in the draft. Kayvon Thibodeau is significantly better than Aiden Hutchinson. In fact, I think George Karloftis is better than Aiden Hutchinson because George Karloftis at 6'4", 275 looks like Yannick Gakway sometimes <laughs> with the way that he gets off the ball and the way he bends the corner. Guys that big should not move like that. You know who is the last guy I can remember that was 6'4", 275 that could bend like that and explode off the edge? Miles Garrett. That's the same build.
1: Name and I'm not trying here. to,
0: yeah, and I'm not <laughs> trying to sit here and say that Carl Loftus is Miles Garrett because he's not different stratospheres of prospects. Garrett was the best defensive end prospect I've ever seen, including over Kayvon Thibodeau. Thibodeau is not as good as Garrett either. But if we're looking at build and we're looking at athletic profile, guys that are built like that, the closest match is Miles Garrett.
1: Yeah,
0: and I think Karloftis Loftus is getting really forgotten about because Aiden Hutchinson's team is in the playoff. And he has a couple of splash plays where he bowls over the Ohio state tackle with a bull rush. That's a great rep, great bull rush to, to speed to power. That's Aiden Hutchinson's thing. And he'll kill you with it. He's going to eventually meet a tackle that can match that. And he's going to have to beat him around the corner. His first step is good, but can you transition from getting upfield to bending and turning the edge? That's where Carl Loftus separates himself where not only is his first step great, but he turns the corner so tight. He can get so low and his shoulders can dip. His hips can dip so well. It's ridiculous. And he has the strength to match. He can, he can get inside and, and stand up on tight ends on in the run game and make plays. He can rush with speed to power. I'm, I'm all on board with George Karloftis. I I think that he is going to be a absolute freaking stud in the NFL. And if there is one defensive end that the Jets could draft, because I don't think they're going to have a shot at Thibodeau, I want it to be him.
1: You know, I would would have to agree. Uh, If they don't go Lindenbaum, if they decide to to stick with the McGovern, uh, I would probably like Karloftis as well at four. If
0: we couldn't trade back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, I, my, that's my, that's my thought. If you can't yeah. trade back the three guys you're taking fourth overall are Evan Neal, Tyler, Bomber, George Karlozes.
1: Yep. I mean, ha- if Hamilton somehow made it there, I could make an argument for him. But at the same time, I really don't think that JD takes uh, a safety, even though he's not you know. just a safety. He's a, he's a playmaker, just like you would want from uh, Bates or, or Williams. If we got him in free agency, he's that kind of special safety. Uh, but at the same time, I just don't see it. And plus it's a deep safety class. So if we were to get a free agency, a free agent safety, uh, I could see them also matching it with a day two safety as well. Uh, and if they're not going Lindenbaum, then yeah, who's left at that point. And yeah, Carl Liftis, if not a wide receiver. And I, even though I think they would do want a wide receiver, I don't think they would take one that high. I don't think no. they value wide receiver that much to go that high for. So Carl, this would probably be our Greek God of sacks.
0: Yeah, no, I think Joe Douglas is a traditionalist when it comes to the, the top of the draft and that the top of the draft is about physical eliteness at a select handful of positions. And those positions are quarterback, offensive tackle, offensive line in general, but usually offensive tackle, pass rusher, and wide receiver when they're incredibly, incredibly special, sometimes corner. Th- those are those are the main headliners of the draft. The three most important, like most highly important rated draft picks every season are quarterbacks, uh, tackles, and defensive ends. So we're not taking a quarterback. And I think Joe Douglas is the type of guy to sit there and go, who is going to impact my team on a down-to-down basis the most, and not more so with somebody else that I can't replicate later in the draft. I don't know if there is another George Carloftis in the draft. I don't know if there is another Evan Neal. And Aquano is is good. I like him. It's not that he isn't, but I, I just think Evan Neal's ability to play right tackle immediately is so huge. And is there another Kyle Hamilton? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a handful of other safeties that could be for what our scheme will ask them to do. I think could be just as serviceable and better off looking at it. You got to look at it as pairings is do you want Kyle Hamilton and Kingsley and or do you want George Carl Loftus and Jaquan Brisker? You know, these are, yeah. that's, that's the question. And I think that for me, at least, and I think not only do I think this is where Joe Douglas leans, but I agree with it. The premium positions are where you got to target. That's when you have a top five draft pick top five draft picks are incredibly valuable. You're hoping if you're the Jets not to have any for a long time after this. You're hoping to to avoid picking this highly in the future. You're not going to be able to fall back on having the top five pick to, to add the talent to your roster. You're hoping you're good enough to where you're picking in the middle rounds or towards the end of the first round. And once that happens, it becomes all about your depth and it becomes all about making sure that the premium positions that you need aren't holes because you can't fill them. If you're if you're a team towards the end of the first round and you all of a sudden need a quarterback or need a pass rusher, it's going to be tough. You, you better hope that some of the guys farther down the draft pay off because the the guys at the top are going to go real fast.
1: It's true. I mean, yeah, you're you're not wrong, uh, but at the same time, I think that's more of a reason to trade back, also, because hey, the idea is that we're going to be at a place where we're not going to be getting that many top five, top ten picks, so maybe load up on more picks. So that's you have my more number one to hope. trade up. So a trade back probably makes the most sense, um, but there are definitely going to be names there for us to take if we stay put in the top five. Well, we don't even know where we're going to land. We still got four games left. There's there's a lot lot left to to get decided here.
0: Yeah, looking at it right now, not assessing any numbers to any picks, my hope would be that the Jets trade their own first-round pick wherever that ends up being for a handful of draft picks, including potentially future firsts, and they take Lindenbaum with this Seattle pick wherever that ends up landing. If I had to look at it from that aspect, I think that that would be best case scenario. Yep. If
1: there's any pick that that's most likely to drop uh, as well, it would probably be Lindenbaum. Just because yeah. maybe not as many teams in the league value uh, offensive line, especially center, as much as maybe yeah. JD does.
0: Yeah. Well, the draft order is going to dictate that as well because we don't know what teams might even need a center. It's not that they might not even not that they might not value him highly enough to take him, but if they don't need one, then, you know, they're not going to look for him anyway. So there's it's this is our early our early discussion for a reason. We're being real philosophical and looking at things from a very broad angle, but it's it's going to there's a lot still left to be determined. And I think as the the year ends, we'll get a more clear picture. But the one things that I think that we're both in agreement on that are constants is that you have to attack this offseason with everything you have. This can't just be a, uh, we're we're waiting and seeing on Zach Wilson or a, we're doing any anything else, because you know what? Worst case scenario, doomsday, Zach Wilson has another year where he doesn't play well. You built your team to be better. Your team still has to improve. So if you have to move on from Zach Wilson in two, three years, you're going to have a built team for a rookie quarterback to step into, not one that's still being built.
1: Hey, maybe that's another uh, argument for Lindenbaum as well.
0: <laughs> it certainly is quite honestly. Uh, it, it, it certainly is. Uh, that's you've changed my mind a lot. Uh, and the listeners here don't know this, but Matt and I have had quite the debate off air over whether it is smart to draft a center in the top 10. Uh, like I said, I stand to be more in the traditional list of you go for the top positions because those are the ones that are going to go quick. And when you have a high draft pick, you get the top guys at the top positions when you need them. But right now, just looking at the class, looking at the picks, looking at where other teams may land and looking at, like we said, who are the safe guys, I I can't say that I would be against it. If I wouldn't, I'm not sure he wouldn't be my first pick at fourth overall, but if they pick Tyler Lindenbaum fourth overall, and he goes on to be a pro bowler, I'm not going to be upset about it.
1: Nope. Not one bit. (laughs)
0: All right, Matt, let's wrap this up, do some quick score predictions for the Dolphins game. We didn't do much of a preview because we did already preview the Dolphins game, uh, Dolphins defense and everything with them earlier this year. Um, So we'll just do some quick score predictions. Uh, This is going to be an interesting game. The Jets are getting healthier. They are going to have both Michael Carter's back. uh, Tyler Croft is expected back. Bryce Huff is expected back finally. So that's going to be big. Um, But they are not going to have Elijah Moore. And I think that is going to be the ultimate nail in the coffin for the jets. I think we saw Zach Wilson really have some issues uh, getting balls to his receivers when he needed to and receivers getting open in general against the saints. So you need guys that can separate. And we saw what Elijah Moore can do against this dolphins defense already without him and without potentially without Corey Davis. I haven't heard any, or he's out for the season. That's right. He had muscle surgery. That's yeah. So no Corey Davis for sure. And no Elijah Moore again. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a little worried. I don't think this is going to be a blowout, but I do think this is going to be a Dolphins win. I am going to guess 21, 10 Dolphins.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, I see the Dolphins defense really keying in on Carter. They, they know yeah. that he's going to be our, Oh, do we, do we get a, um, Oh wow. a croft back as well. Yep. All right. So maybe Croft as well. I still just don't see much of a downfield threat. Yeah. Uh, the offense is going to have a hard time getting in a rhythm again, uh, but having Carter back will definitely help with that. Uh, they'll do a little better than last week, but I don't see much. Uh, I think they'll definitely be able to uh, hang with, uh, with Miami's offense for sure. Uh, they, they definitely were able to hang with them before uh they I think now that they've got a, an idea of what two is gonna do they're they're gonna be ready for it. so I'm gonna go twenty one thirteen Miami
0: yeah, real similar, real similar yeah. uh, I'm hoping for otherwise because quite honestly, I believe that with a coach like Robert Sala, that wins are important and that you need to have evidence that you're building the team in the right way, even if it ultimately affects your draft pick, uh, you know, you, you can't control that. You got to learn to win. So I'm, I'm never going to root for losses. Uh, hopefully we get to review a win next week. Hopefully Vitor will be back with a new ring on his finger until then. I am Andrew. You can find me at Andrew golden underscore 17. I will do Vitor's outro. You can find him at Vitor M. Make sure you guys go wish him luck on Twitter, Matt, let's drop your handle and let's call this a show.
1: Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets.
0: As always, this has been the Oklahoma drill podcast at OKD podcast on Twitter. Thank you guys again so much for listening. We will be back next week with hopefully a more standard show, a little more regular of a review towards the end of the season and hopefully to review a win. Thank you guys so much again. Bye bye.